November of 1963. The longest-running science fiction series first aired and took the world by storm. Since that date, this television program has continued in multiple television series, motion pictures, cartoons, novels, audio plays, and most importantly, comic books. The goal of this podcast is to review these comics from various publishers from around the world. Welcome to Doctor Who Comic Book Review. Hello and welcome to Doctor Who Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 74 for April 1st, 2012. It's hard to believe we've already done 74 of these. It is amazing. Another prolific franchise, Doctor Who, in the comic book world as well as on television. And even and, movies. And movies and cartoons. I mean, there's been a few uh, few of those cartoons that David Tennant did, so... Yep. I saw one of them. I saw one of those. It was okay. Yeah, they they weren't that good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying it wasn't that good. Not nearly as good as the TV series. The comic books are on the whole pretty good. I like them. Always like them. That's why we do the that's why we do the podcast for the folks, for the people. Exactly. Okay. People who don't have access to all these great uh British only for the most part comic books. Yes. So, uh today we're doing a US uh uh, comic made by IDW, so we're doing the first three of the Forgotten miniseries. Yes, of which there are five? Uh, six. Six, ouch. Yeah, six. So we're covering the first half in this episode. We are, and uh, this one's good because, you know, uh, IDW's been doing Doctor Who for a while, but this was the first time that an American comic book publisher was able to use the likeness and the uh, the rights for the first nine. So IDW started with David Tennant has made some some Matt Smith ones, but this was the only time that they got to go back and create original stories with the first nine Doctors. Cool. And it's nice to see them again. It is, and it kind of makes you uh, remember... You know, it's it, just like the new show is kind of cool to see Doctor Who in a modern way. This is a kind of a way to see some of the older Doctors in right. more of a modern way. Uh, you're right about that. You're right about that. I would agree with that. And also be reminded of the particular mm, charms, quirks, characteristics of those earlier incarnations. Right. And it's very tongue-in-cheek because they're obviously making light of some of the, the quirks that the previous Doctors had. Right. So, with that, uh, do we want to just jump into it? or? I, I, I think we should do that. Yeah, let's do that. So, I think you have the honors for the first one. I do, indeed. The first one is titled Amputation. And this is, of course, the Forgotten series, number one. Published date, August 2008. The writer is Tony Lee. Penciler is Pia Guerra. Letters, Neil... Uh, 
Yutaki. <laughs> I, I should be used to that by now. Uh, inker is Kent Archer and Shane Corbett. Colorist is Charles Kirchhoff. Editor is Chris Ryle and Tom Waltz. The cover shows two doctors. The first and larger figure located in the background is the first doctor played by William Hartnell. He is colored in black and white, just like he was back in 1963. In the foreground, in glorious color, is that dapper Tenth Doctor, played by David Tennant. The Tenth Doctor is holding a gnarly staff of wood. The story opens with a Tenth Doctor who laid out on an intricately tiled floor, apparently unconscious. Through square thought boxes, we can see that he is coming to, since he is thinking, I am the Doctor. He is a Time Lord. He is over 900 years old, and I have no idea where I am. The doctor sits up and is greeted by Martha Jones. They were in the TARDIS one minute, and now they are here, wherever here is. It appears to be a Time Lord museum that is full of artifacts that should not be there, since Gallifrey was destroyed in the Time War. Of note is the Seal of Rassilon who was the first Time Lord that discovered time travel. The Doctor decides to have a look around. They discover they do not have the key to the TARDIS, or the Doctor's sonic screwdriver. The Doctor states she is around here somewhere, so she will have to find her way back to them, eventually. After marveling at more Time Lord artifacts, they come upon a room marked, in large letters, The Collection of the Doctor. Inside of the outfits of each incarnation of the Doctor, arranged in a semicircle. In front of each set of clothes is an item used by that particular Doctor. A cricket ball. An umbrella with the signature question mark handle. Jelly babies. Psychic paper. The ultimate geek collection. Martha comments on the variety of outfits. Some good and some fashion disasters. More pragmatically, the Doctor comments suspiciously that no one alive should know about all nine incarnations of himself, much less have a collection of his clothes. The Time Lords are dead, and with them died secrets like this. A rather contemporary-looking security camera hanging from the ceiling is monitoring them. The scene switches to a security control room where, on over 18 display panels, is displayed everything that Martha and Doctor say and do. Looking at the clothes of his various incarnations, the Doctor mentions how he is particularly fond of the Fifth Doctor and how he made him the man he is today. He clarifies to say they all made him the man that he is today, really. He'd be lost without them. Overhearing that, the man in the control room says, Really, Doctor, let's test that hypothesis out. A large analog control dial is turned. The Doctor, suddenly seeing all the exhibits, he realizes the museum is dedicated to him. Suddenly, the Doctor says he feels dizzy and collapses to the ground. When he gets back up, he realizes many parts of his memory are gone. At first, he says he can't remember anything past a few Christmases past. Then he does recall some things further back, like the fact that there was a time war. 
He comments on the clothing dummies in the room, but cannot recall anything about them. He cannot recall his previous incarnations. After walking a little ways and not recalling any of the exhibits, including ones he described in detail 30 minutes ago, the doctor sinks to the ground again, feeling so tired. Martha grabs the first doctor's wooden cane and asks the tenth doctor to remember anything about it. A story, whatever comes to mind. The doctor is able to remember something about Oscar Wilde and a theater of assassin midgets. He eventually remembers something about his granddaughter, Susan. The doctor proceeds to tell an adventure. The first doctor was on with Susan, Ian, and Barbara. The story picks up where the time travelers find themselves in Menkare's Pyramid in Giza around the 26th century B.C. They are attacked by a spear-wielding pyramid guard and taken into custody. Luckily, the guard speaks English. As the doctor's party is taken to the Egyptian leader, it is made clear in whispers that some of the mid-level Egyptian management is planning on taking over from the pharaoh. As they exit the pyramid, the doctor informs his party that Sutek and Horus, whose images are in some of the hieroglyphics on the walls, are actually aliens and not humans at all. During their walk, the first doctor demonstrates his famous barbed tongue whenever Ian is not 100% following along with events. Like when they are referred to as visitors from the stars by a bearded man named Baku. The treacherous middle management types from earlier named Atenu asks his co-conspirator Kanibi to bring blow darts to the palace. There they will kill the pharaoh and blame the murder on the newcomers. When the people are convinced of their guilt, they will kill the newcomers. The doctor and his companions finally meet Pharaoh Menkare. The doctor introduces himself and everyone else while Kemnibi lets fly a poison dart. As the doctor raises his cane to explain that it is not a scepter or a symbol of office, the dart lodges in the cane. The pharaoh sees it and shouts, Assassin! Guards to me! A fight ensues between the pharaoh's guards and the true assassins, which gives the doctor and his party the opportunity to slip out of the palace and back to the pyramid. With the assassins hot on their trail, they just make it into the TARDIS in time. They never did find out what became of Pharaoh Menkari. The scene shifts back to the museum, where the Tenth Doctor completes telling the story to Martha. In response to Martha's questions, the Doctor tells her that he left Susan on a future Earth to lead her own life with a freedom fighter she fell in love with. Ian and Barbara were returned to Earth within a year or so of their original departure date. In almost a trance-like state, the doctor says Susan probably is no longer alive. He says he is the last Time Lord. In response to the doctor, the man in the monitor room says, If only that were true, doctor. Though the doctor seems to be weakening despite getting some of his earliest memories back, Martha pulls him to his feet. She will not let him give up. After a few minutes, the doctor sounds almost back to his old self, telling Martha to look for weapons and watch out for electrified force fields. The man in the monitor room says he does not like how the doctor seems to be getting stronger. He wants the doctor to get weak. 
He wants to break the will of the doctor. He wants to force the doctor to regenerate. And when he does, he will have the doctor. The mystery man presses a white button on the computer control panel, and the doctor grabs his head in pain. He crumples to the ground. Martha is there to help him. The doctor says one of his hearts has stopped. He's running on only one. He says he can't let whoever is doing this do whatever they want to do. He won't let them. Goodbye, Martha. The doctor is unconscious, and Martha is beside him, unsure if he is alive or dead. Next issue, Renewal. So, I loved the uh, flashback scenes being in black and white. Yes. So appropriate. (laughs) So very appropriate. Right. Uh, Not only is it just a normal, uh, a kind of cool normal art style, it's just so appropriate for the first Doctor. Exactly. Now, he was never in color, right? He was never in color. Right. Because Patrick Troughton was never, or did he transition to color? Um, I, I know at the beginning he was black and white. I'm thinking that John Pertwee might have been the first one in color. Uh, okay, cool. But William Hartnell was in color. Um, I mean, the actor William Hartnell was in color when they did the Three Doctors episode. Oh, so yeah. where the uh, first three Doctors had to team up, and so William Hartnell was was in some scenes with that where he was in he was in color. Right. But none of his shows were. Cool. Okay. So black and white makes sense. Uh yep. even on the even on the cover, he's black and white. Yeah, which is which is again, I liked it. And I liked how all the uh you know, the sound effects and stuff like that were in color. So they really stood out on these black and white pages. It was it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Another um bit of creativity. So what do you think of the story overall before we get into specifics? First off, would I be spoiling anything if I told who the mystery man was? I think we all know. All right, who do you think it is? Oh, it's the master. It has to be the master. And why do you think that? Uh, I probably shouldn't have mentioned it this early, early, but um, he says some things in the next issues. And, of course, you get to see part of him, so you see he's got a little beard going. So he's more of a, um, a Tom Baker vintage. Right, master, I believe. That's a good. That, I think that's definitely where they want you to go. I mean, obviously, I don't think you've read the rest. I, I have. I have so not. I know who. I know who it is. Oh, and I don't want to spoil it for you. Okay, but the, obviously, the he's listeners. another. He's another doctor. He could be, or I mean, he's another time lord. He could. I'm not saying he is or isn't. <laughs> <You're> ke- <laughs> <laughs> I'm keen to guess. Okay, that's fine. So that's who I think he is. He looks like it. And obviously, he talks like it. Obviously, he isn't. But I didn't say he wasn't. I just said that's definitely where they're 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 leading you to. They're definitely leading. Okay, so um, I think I, I, I'm a little not crazy about how much stuff this mystery man can do to the doctor. I mean, yank him off the TARDIS. Well, who knows where? And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil things. Who knows where the TARDIS is? But just all of a sudden, pop. Off the TARDIS, in this museum thing. And how did he get all that stuff anyway? I mean, uh, assuming they're not just projections or something. I mean, right. they're like, I mean, they, they seem to be physical artifacts. So it's a heck of a collection. It is. So I mean, Almost a lot of... every little random thing from his life is there. Exactly. So 
well, when I do get to the end, I hope they're going to actually explain how possibly this mystery man is able to have so much power. Because uh, it's cool. It's cool everything they've done. I mean, uh, it's a great opportunity to look back at the doctor, uh, the doctors, and the the world that has been built up um, through these artifacts and stuff, and the stories that are told. Right. But I, I don't want it all just to be. Uh, oh, don't worry about it. He can just do all these things. I like to have some explanation. Uh, yeah, I think you'll be. I think you'll be happy. Okay. Happy. It's been a few years since I've read them, so uh, I'm a little rusty on how it all how how it all sorts itself out because I kind of wanted to be surprised again too. But right. uh, if my memory is, serves me rightly, uh, it's a good explanation. Cool. Good. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I like it. Uh, my only complaint was that I wished it was more of an interaction with these previous doctors than just uh, I remember a story about the walking stick. Right. Um, I wish, you know, like like uh, when the Eighth Doctor came about and they had the TV movie, um, when when that didn't pan out to a TV series, they did spin off a uh, novel series. And the first book is called The Eight Doctors, and it had the Eighth Doctor visiting all his other incarnations. Mm-hmm. And in that – and again, he lost his memory, right, because he lost – he didn't have his memory fully in that, in that episode anyways. So when he leaves uh, – Dr. Grace, he loses his memory again and has to go revisit all his previous selves to get it all back. Very similar to this story. Very similar to this story. Except he actually goes into certain episodes of the TV series. So it's kind of like if you watch that episode and then you've also read the book, you're like, okay, this is where he and the other doctor go off and have this other adventure while the TV show, you know, is still going on, which is a fantastic book if you've never read it. That sounds cool. Yeah, so like when he meets with uh, William Hartnell, he's he goes to the very first episode of Doctor Who where they're meeting these caveman and, and Doctor Who's about to smash this caveman with a rock. And then after that scene, he kind of goes off. And then in this novel, you find out that he goes off and he's interacting with his eighth incarnation. And then he comes back and finishes the story like you know it. So cool. uh, it, it's really good. <laughs> so they found opportunities within the original episodes where he was off screen for a little while to uh, fill in a little story. Right. And sometimes have like a, a huge adventure that's like you can't say it didn't happen, but you're like, well, that wasn't in the original show, but it could have happened because it yeah. doesn't say where he's at at that time. He might be off fighting vampires. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. And besides, he, he's the doctor. He can time travel. I mean, he right. can have an, a, he can have an uh, adventure for a month and come back and seem like he's only been gone, uh, you know. Ten minutes. Yeah, they do that in the in the second book of that series too. He he meets up with this new girl and he goes off, and then he comes right back and he's like, "Oh yeah, you're still here. I've been gone for like three years." She's <laughs> <laughs> like, "You forgot me for three years." And he's like, "Yeah, hey, but for you it was just five minutes." And she's like, "It was five years." <laughs> Ironically enough, her name is Sam Jones, which I think is funny because obviously Martha Jones. Hmm. Anyways, that's um, that's a wholly different. Let's focus on this one, I guess. <laughs> yes. But anyways, they'll sit, they'll, I love that story, and I liked how this one was kind of the same thing, him getting his memories back from previous incarnations. Right. Um, but, yeah, I like it. I think it's a great great story, Good. aside from I wish more interaction. There more interaction. But the thing is, in all the other – well, at least in all the other situations where they took an opportunity to get all the doctors together, they did all interact. Right. So if you had them all interact yet again, 
you know, I mean, I don't know, to some degree it's like, well, you're, you, you guys just keep on doing the same thing, but with, you know, with a different collection of doctors, which right. is fine as long as you come up with something new and interesting. This one, at least they don't retread that bit. Right, and, and I never really liked – I mean, I hate to say this because I love those episodes, but I also don't like them because they don't make sense. Where yeah, exactly. he interacts with his previous self and his previous self recognizes him future – you know, recognizes that you know Peter Davidson is his future self. Right. Uh, it doesn't make sense, <laughs> but I love it. You know, yeah, it's one yeah. of those it's, things. It's an excuse for him to get together, but it's like it, – it's just kind of pushing things. Right, and, and the last time they did it, and it was kind of a uh, you know a one off, may or may not have been part of you know Doctor Who canon was that time when David Tennant met up with uh, Peter Davidson. Did you see that? It's it's called Time Crunch or Time Crush or something like that. No, I did not. It was all, not it was a, an extra on one of the DVDs. Oh, oh, cool. Uh, but I think you watch all yours digitally, so you probably didn't get it. But no. uh, yeah, so there was it was like a little special they did as part of like uh, some charity thing mm-hmm. and it had Peter Davison just showing up on the TARDIS uh, like nothing was wrong. He was just fiddling with, with the switches and David Tennant walks up and <laughs> Peter Davison doesn't recognize him. And he's like, you know, he's like, you know, talking to himself or they're talking. And then Peter Davison's or David Tennant's like, he's like, look at my face. Cause someday you're going to be shaving it. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of good lines in there. Right, right, and right. And one of the last lines was David Tennant telling, you know, almost kind of breaking character, but David Tennant telling Peter Davidson that that he's his doctor, and, right? And which is funny because in this in this story, they obviously make the same reference exactly. when when David Tennant looks at uh, Peter Davidson's clothes, right? So, and of course, the reason for that is actually there might be two reasons. I don't. I don't. Hmm. Uh, Peter Davidson is David Tennant's father-in-law. That's true. So true. I didn't know about that little vignette that was put on the DVD, but when he said that, made such a big deal about the fifth doctor being like made him the man he is. I mean, singled him out. I figured it was because of the father-in-law thing, but more so how old David Tennant's so... always said that Peter Davidson was his first doctor. Oh, okay, cuz I was wondering about that because yeah. um when David Tennant became the Doctor, I mean, he said it in interviews and stuff. He's a big Doctor Who fan. Right. Uh, so the opportunity to play the Doctor was one he couldn't turn down. Right. He'd actually been in some of the uh, big Finnish uh, audio dramas, not as the Doctor, but just as random people because he right. was a fan of the show. And so, you know, it's kind of cool to go back and listen to those old um, audio dramas where he's just a random guy. And you're like, uh, that's that's the future Doctor. That's, that's <laughs> Isn't that weird? Anyway, but, so there uh, it goes. But yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I didn't know about the daughter-in-law thing until, or father-in-law thing until uh, after, well after that show. Right, right. Makes more sense. Yeah, a few things. So, how about when Martha comments on the variety of styles <clears throat> the doctor doctor's clothes have been, from a velvet dandy to a U-boat captain? Now, which one was the U-boat captain? Was well, exactly. Christopher so, Exactly. I mean, that's the only thing it could be, and I don't think that's a very good description. But, I mean, obviously the dandy's obvious, John Pertwee. Not, no doubt there with the ruffles and everything. But the closest guy that looks like a U-boat captain would be the guy in the leather jacket, you know. Right. But I don't think it's that close. I, I wouldn't 
I don't think that's a good uh, analogy, personally. But eh. I, I wouldn't either. But but he has had some atrocious outfits. <laughs> oh, Eccleston? No, just just Doctor Who in general. Oh, oh yeah. Oh well, it's, yeah. I mean, especially uh, what Sylvester McCoy and Patrick Troughton. Patrick Troughton wasn't bad. His was just a little. Oh my god, he, he looked like a clown with the little bow tie. Yeah, he 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 looks like a clown without makeup. And the mo hair, <laughs> <laughs> the mo Howard hair from the exactly. I, I always thought he was mo. <laughs> now yeah. I, I I don't I actually I think that the first four doctors for the most yeah. part, uh, yeah. maybe even five doctors with little you know especially the later two having little little quirks, their outfits don't look bad. It's not until Colin Baker shows up that they're like, oh my god, you've got the most horrible outfit. Ever, yeah. and then Sylvester McCoy shows up with with almost something as bad. <laughs> Colin Baker by far has the worst outfit. Uh, yeah. yeah, the what the jacket with the patches and everything, right? Exactly, yeah. and the color he and... looks like a clown with the bright colored baggy right. pants and. Well, okay, but that's funny. I always thought Patrick uh, Troughton was was just a like an old man outfit. Yeah. Uh. It, well, I, I think it's so um, so baggy, and uh, his pants and stuff. Right. And then the the, the jacket and stuff. I mean, he, he just reminds me of like a like a clown, but without makeup. Uh, I always That's thought me. they did the baggy pants to kind of symbolize that you know Patrick. He's Trump got all this stuff in his pocket. I always had something taller than him, and then now he's a same time lord in a different body, and he's wearing kind of trying to wear the same clothes. Uh, oh. Well, the clothes aren't the same, are they? No, they're they? not. They're not exactly the same, but they're okay. still kind of the uh, you know old man, you know plaid right. pants kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That... Well, they well they definitely started out with uh, the doctor being an older guy, right? You know. And, and, and by and by the way, so I have not really watched the first doctor enough to know this, but if his granddaughter was in the original show, so she's a time lord. Yep. Supposedly, okay. she's his granddaughter. That's what he always called her. Right. Her. But did she I mean definitely in this in this in in this story when they go back to Egypt, she seems like a a clueless young earth girl. Well, she's young. Well, I know, but and I agree and and definitely later on when uh when Tom Baker has uh, Time Lord companions, which I thought that was pretty cool uh, when they did that. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't get that much of a vibe from uh, from the granddaughter at all. Well, I think Romana was really old too, and and you know the Doctor's supposed to be eight hundred and something years old, so I don't know how old Susan was supposed to be. Yeah. Well. But, and I don't know if she really <clears throat> was a Time Lord or not because they've never said that the doctor had a daughter or a son that would give him a granddaughter. So there's also this debate that she's some sort of adopted. Right, exactly. Some adopted waif that he was old enough that he couldn't call her daughter. Right, but it is odd that, you know, David Tennant, doctor in this one, does say that she's probably dead because he's the last one, implying that she would be a Time Lord. Exactly, right. So I'm hoping that they retcon that in the newer series because they have asked the doctor, uh, Matt Smith and David Tennant, if he's had if he has family. And he's always said that he he even said he was a father once. So 
uh, I, I do think they've had a lot of nods to him <laughs> having a family before he steals the TARDIS and runs off. Right. Now, that episode, I think it was David, yeah, it was David Tennant, Tennant episode, The Doctor's Daughter. Yeah, that was completely different. That was a a clone of him. Oh, was that a clone? Okay, fine. Okay. Which was played by Peter Davidson's daughter. Oh, cool. I think that's where they met. Peter oh, Davidson. kidding me, really? I mean, uh, David Tennant and his wife. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. I, I have to look it up. I might just be making up stuff, but... You're riffing, man. <laughs> but I know you're, that... You're connecting the dots. I don't think they were married when that show was, was, was aired. Right, right. Huh? But I might be wrong. I don't know. Cool. Anyways. Um, so, uh, can I do my little nitpick? Do it. Do it, man. He says that the walking cane came from Oscar Wilde with uh, Midget Assassins. Uh, yeah. Well, he, well or he, he he mentioned Midget Assassins. Right. But but was that like a comma kind of thing, or did it have something directly to do with the cane? It, I don't know. Whatever. You, in, you, you tell me. In the in the stories and in the, in the episodes, right. uh, it was in a, He got it from Genghis Khan from a uh, in uh, the episode called Marco Polo. Marco Polo. <laughs> so uh the same thing. Okay. So it's it's uh it's odd that he would mention something that's that's not backed up by the actual story. Yeah, that is odd because they did they made that's, that's a lot Kublai, not not Genghis Khan, Kublai Khan. Oh, oh. Not that it matters. Just just yeah. trying to be trying cool. to be factual. Kubla. So um yeah, I mean they they spouted so many details. It's like Okay, makes sense to me. Let's go with that. Uh, but that's cool. Okay, what what other things might they have off? Might have had off in this issue? Uh, I didn't. That was the one that jumped out at me. Um, I mean, like I said, I I did like the little talk about David Tennant being his his inspiration because I mean, uh, Peter Davidson being sure. David Tennant's inspiration since I think he he said that he's mirrored his his doctor on Peter Davidson's doctor. Uh, I just thought that was a neat little nod, but I, I didn't catch any other in, inaccuracies. Did you? No, I did not. And really, I think I've made all my comments. Yeah, same here. Excellent. Shall we go on to issue number two? Issue number two, which is called Renewal, right? Yes. Is it? Yeah, Renewal. It's odd because this one has a place in the on the cover or on the ty- uh, splash page, the first splash page, for credits, but there's no credits there. So yep. um, it did say that the next episode or next issue would be called Renewal, so we're just going with that. All right, so the uh, credits are slightly different in this one, so I'll, I'll read through those really quickly. Um, written by Tony Lee. Art – well, actually, I guess they're not this – they are the same, right? No, they, they're different. Okay. Art by Pia Guerrera. The flashback sequence arts or inks is Kent Archer. Colors by Charlie Kitchoff and Chris Carter. Letterers by Comic Crafts Richard Starklings or Starkings. And edits by Denton J. Tipton. And uh, just like in the first issue, there's two covers. One cover is a boring stock photo of 
the Doctor and Martha. You you didn't mention it in the last one, Ken, so no, I'll, I'll mention it for you I because didn't. it's there, but who would buy that one when you could buy the one that has the artwork? Exactly. So the uh, artwork one has uh, the uh, the infinity symbol of the uh, the Doctor, the little eight uh, symbol of Rassilon or whatever it's supposed to be in the background. In the uh, foreground, you see the David Tennant Doctor playing a recorder with uh, the Patrick Troughton Doctor standing behind him looking very displeased. And behind both of them, we see John Pertwee Doctor standing inside Betsy, or Bessie, the uh, the Who-mobile, with his cape billowing in the wind. So it's a, it's a pretty cool picture. One of my favorites of this uh, these six issues. So the uh, episode starts off, or the issue starts off, with uh, the Doctor laying in the, in the museum where we left him off last time. Martha is standing above him calling his name. Uh, she starts to perform CPR to get his two hearts started again. She gives the unconscious Doctor mouth-to-mouth when he awakens. And after a few coughing breaths, he accuses Martha of kissing him. To which she calls him an idiot and then reminds him that it sometimes pays to have two doctors in the TARDIS. Which, if I'm not mistaken, Martha's not a doctor. She was going to medical school. But that's a nitpick. So, unbeknownst to the duo, they are being watched by the mysterious man from last issue. He is talking to no one but in classic evil person in classic, uh, you know, James Bondian type villain, he he's laying out not the master. <laughs> he might be the master. I'm not saying he's not. Well, anyways, he's talking to no one, but he is talking out loud. And he says that the doctor is in need of visit from an old friend. And to this, he twists the key, and we see an Auton wake up and has his hand pop out to reveal the gun. Uh, Martha hands the recorder that she just picked up to uh, the doctor, and then she goes off to find weapons of some sort. The doctor starts playing a few notes on the recorder, marveling that he used to play this so often, and how Ben used to hate it, and how Jamie always tried to hide it from him. And then we flash back to another monochromatic uh, flashback. Uh, Here we see the third doctor running away from some snake-like looking aliens. Jamie and Zoe are close behind. The trio give chase to the aliens throughout the corridors of a space station in very classic Doctor Who style. They eventually are able to take refuge at a controls in a control room of some sort with a few other humans. A balding man does not believe the doctor when he says that he just arrived. And then he shows footage of an of Alvarian space worm wrapped around the dark the docking arm of the space station. As the two men argue, the snake creatures break through the door. The doctor is able to play a medley on his recorder that charms the, the aliens to sleep. The doctor hatches a plan to use the communications array of the space station to put the space worm to sleep, similar to how he just did with the snake men. He, Jamie, and Zoe head off through the air ducts to the communication station. They find some more snake men once they arrive, and Jamie causes a distraction, uh, which takes the snake man away on another little chase, as the Doctor and Zoe perform the modifications. Then the Doctor plays his recorder, and through the communication system, he's able to put the snake man to sleep and the worm. Then we flash back to the present, where the Doctor finishes telling his story about the snake man to Martha. Martha asks about the fate of Jamie and Zoe. 
he tells her that the Time Lords erase their memories and return them to their own times, obviously making reference to uh, uh, Patrick Troughton's reincarnation episode, the trial of the Time Lord, if I'm not mistaken. Martha hands him another item. This is uh, some sort of canisters, and the doctor is shocked that they hold a very powerful explosive, uh, making a comment that who would run around with these things in a bag. Uh, before he can go into too much detail about them, the the Auton attacks, and the two the two run away from him, and they cut a corner. Uh, but the Auton just walks past them, unaware that they changed their heading. Martha hands the doctor a set of keys. One is a one is the TARDIS key, and the other one is an old fashioned car key. He exclaims, "Bessie." Martha asks if this is another one of his old companions. He says, oh, she was much more than just a companion. And then we go back into a flashback. And this flashback has the uh, – actually, this is the third Doctor. I think I said third Doctor earlier on accident. Oops. Hopefully I didn't. Anyways, uh, this is a flashback with the third Doctor, and they're being chased – or he's inside Bessie with uh, Joe Grant and the Brigadier along for the ride. And they're being chased by large robotic spiders being driven by greyhound-looking aliens. So, they're dog aliens. <laughs> Interesting choice. Well, it, it, it's convenient later, so just go with it. Alright, so the, um, the Brigadier stands up within Bessie and Joe hands him a bazooka. He takes aim and fires, destroying one of the spider vehicles. Joe takes out her makeup compact and uses the mirror on it to reflect the laser back to one of the spider walkers and it's destroyed the uh, doctor is able to pull Bessie close to a military blockade there he uses a blowhorn and a sonic screwdriver to create a super dog whistle the dog pilots cannot stand the noise and crash in their spider walker things so we flash back to the present and the doctor remembers that the robot following them is called an Auton at just that moment, the Aton returns and fires at them. Uh, the doctor uses one of the canisters that she gave him earlier and blows the Aton up. The doctor speculates that his two flashbacks were both involving communication. So he thinks that he needs to try to communicate with the TARDIS. So using the TARDIS key and the sonic screwdriver, he attempts to make the communication. But when he gets no reply, he fears that the TARDIS has been destroyed. To be continued. Mm -hmm. So when that's when that to be continued comes up, can you hear the little screeching sound from the old shows? You know that signified that you're about to. No, not that one. The, uh, you know, kind of like the the screaming noise of the music right before it kicks into the uh, end credits that they did at the uh, at during the um, the uh, cliffhanger episodes. Oh yeah, but that I wouldn't describe it. I've heard it called the scream, and that's why I said that. Really? Yeah. That's I, I know exactly what you're saying. If you just... if you if you get some of the um, soundtracks, they always call it the scream. Huh. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know either. But yes, I can say that. Uh, I can hear that. I can see that. I agree. Um, and of course, it does like the previous issue says the next issue's title at the bottom. Right. 
it, I, I like this episode with the exception of the dog aliens. Oh, that's terrible. Okay, so so, so that's exactly my main comment. It's like, even though I grew up when I, when I was a kid, the first time when I was introduced to Doctor Who, it was always um, it was all it was always John Pertwee. I mean, he was the doctor for me. So he was your first doctor. He was my first doctor. Um, I'm going to use the same line again. Sorry. Just like the T-shirt says, you always remember your first doctor. And so he was it for me in Chicago, watching on PBS, and they were showing uh, Doctor Who reruns, and it was great. The only thing I got to say about this, and I had nothing else to compare it to because he's the only doctor I ever knew, he never went anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And, but of course I didn't know he didn't go anywhere, but I mean, that's all I knew. But it was like a lot of the episodes end up being like the monster of the week. And especially there were these time periods when he was always going, you know, with units help going up against these huge monsters, like sea monsters and stuff. And it's like, it was just seemed like it was a lot of it was pretty over the top. Right, and obviously that was that was the direction they were going, just to right. keep the show alive and not make it cost an arm and a leg. Right. So with a lot of sets and that kind of stuff, easier right. if you can just film mostly around uh, England the way it is modern day. <laughs> and, and it's usually always rolling hills or quarries of some sort. Right. So right. You right, find right. A, you find a rock quarry somewhere at an alien planet. <laughs> exactly. So. But, um, Looking back on, on all the doctors I've seen, I think some of the doc, I think some of the third doctors' stuff is the hokiest, and they had hokey stuff in this story <laughs> for John Pertwee's doctor to do, so it was appropriate. Uh, I, I agree. Mean, I, the, 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 the Joe using the compact to to not only deflect the laser beam coming from the killer greyhounds, but she was able to aim it. And maybe it was on, at random, but she was able to aim it back and shoot one of the other alien robot walker things. Which, yeah. by the way, is the shape of a tick. It looks like it's driving in an alien tick, or a robotic tick. Usually uh, robotic I guess tick. it does look... I, I kept saying spider, but it does have the little rear end that pops up, so I guess tick would probably be better. Right. I, I thought it was a spider, and dogs. Too, I guess that makes sense. Ticks and dogs. Oh! Oh, that's good. I didn't think of that. So instead of the tick riding on the dog, it's the dog riding on the Riding on the tick. Exactly. Oh, that's <laughs> cool. I didn't get that at all. So, yeah. It, yeah. I, <laughs> so, yeah. So the, uh, the the laser bouncing off of the compact and then hitting the other thing, that was really bad. Yeah. I mean, it was the only shot that was even going to hit them, and she was able to deflect it. And then the next scene shows her holding that compact with the casing and everything melting off of it. Right. So, well, at least they acknowledged it was, you know, it had some effect on the on the compact, but whatever. Yeah, well, did Still, not like it. Didn't like that. Now, at least the Brigadier had a... Uh, a rocket had, launcher. Had I a rocket bazooka, launcher. But it's, it, it definitely has well, a rocket. Yeah, but it looks like a bazooka. You know, it's it it looks like the older fashioned World War Two style tube. But yeah, he actually calls it a tube, doesn't he? Yeah, could you please pass me that tube beside you, Miss Grant? <laughs> Thank you. But what comes out of the front of it is definitely a. Uh, yeah, it's you know, a little rocket, right? It's a little rocket. Yeah. Anyways, I like that. I've always liked the Brigadier. Yeah, I o- Brigadier Lef- Lefbridge Stewart. 
Yep. Is that it? Yep. Yeah, I always liked him. I thought he was pretty good. Now, I'll be honest. I have not seen his guest appearances on the um, Sarah Jane Chronicles. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know he was on there. Yeah, he's he's on there. I, I have seen the Joe Grant cameo on uh, the Sarah Jane Chronicles. So it is interesting to see her, the actress, older and right, and what they've been saying she's been doing since she left the Doctor. Right. If you haven't seen that episode, it's the uh, it's called the the uh, death of the Doctor. Right. And it's like her and Sarah Jane Smith going to the Doctor's funeral. Uh, Which. So it's it's kind of implying it's kind so of tied John in Pertree with Doctor? the. Uh, it's kind of tied in when when supposedly uh, Matt Smith dies. It was I think it came out around that time. Oh, oh. so it's actually a really good episode, and Matt Smith's in it too. So uh, you should watch that. Oh, it has a very interesting reunion between the Doctor and Joe. When Joe sees that the Doctor has had interactions with uh, uh, Sarah Jane Smith over the years, mm-hmm. and he's never come back to talk to her, it's really good. Oh. Uh. But uh, I, I won't give away too much. I think I probably did. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me want to go out of my way to see it. Yeah, you should. Yeah, the series is not bad. It's it's aimed towards kids, so it's a little hokey at points. It's kind of like these old John Pertwee episodes, right? Uh, but it's 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 good. I've enjoyed the ones I've seen. Yeah, I saw the first one, and that's it. I I, I should I should go and see more. Yeah. So I thought the use of the Autons was was interesting because – well, was, was it something more than filler? I, mean, I don't was know. Was there more Again, meaning I th- there? I think I – I, I mean they took a character that was in the first episode of The Ninth Doctor and he was an alien that was in earlier shows. Uh, and, and I mean I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's why they picked him. Because it was it kind of tied in the third Doctor and it kind of tied in the ninth Doctor. Uh, because the third Doctor and the ninth Doctor are the only two that have fought them on screen. Right. But I don't know. I thought it was weird choice. And he didn't really serve a purpose because those little canisters didn't trigger a, a memory response of any sort. No. It just seemed to be a threat. Oh, actually, it does have one thing. It has one thing that... That that was important to the storyline, uh, and Doc. Well, we haven't seen what it is yet, so I'm I'm not going to mention it. Okay, but there is a realization, Doctor. The Doctor had, and of course, when the mystery man, who's not the who's not the master, uh, had <laughs> had sent the Autan out there, uh, he said, "Ooh, I need to distract you, Doctor." That's right. So uh, he did have a perp. I guess he had a purpose, but it just seemed like a little bit of artificial threat to me, but. All right. Well, we'll see next issue. Yes. What else you got? Uh, I just want to say that I think the uh, the first three stories, I think they did a good job of capturing the essence of those Doctor uh, uh, iterations, uh, I, I, incarnations. I, I, I thought I thought they did a good job. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and I loved how they, you know, Doctor Who, low budget show. Yes. You know, and and I think they tried to do as much as they could with what little funds they had, and unfortunately, a lot of that's running around in corridors, 
and air ducts, you know. <laughs> and I love how in this first story here, the the second Doctor story, yeah, they're running around in a space station through corridors and then through air ducts. It was <laughs> it, it it just how reminded me so much of those old shows. Sure, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah, I thought the idea that the Doctor's recorder playing was able to put those uh, snake guys out. I thought that was very con- convenient. And uh, he was able to do that even without encephalactic trace circuitry. Uh, I know what that... What, what, what is that from? <laughs> oh, it's from this other franchise. <laughs> who knows? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Other science fiction franchise. Eh, who, who bothers with it? Was that in a? Uh, that was in some sort of Star Trek thing. Oh yes, yes, exactly. Hmm. Another character that used a uh, a flute to uh, put things to sleep. <laughs> anyway, I just thought I just thought it was funny the the charming the snake just like the uh, the snake exactly. charmers exactly. Now it never did say whether the worm on the outside of the station was related to the snake men on the inside of the station, so I never really got the. Uh, Oh, they were related. What the relationship was. They didn't explain it much, but they were related. Okay. Uh, as as soon as the doctor saw that there was the big snake snake thing on the outside of the station, he said, oh, so that's why you've got the uh, the snake minions running around or something. Okay. All right. Yeah, and by the way, of the stories we've had so far, I thought the uh, Peter Troughton story was the one I found least entertaining. Oh, you like the dog people? Well, because <laughs> okay, to me okay. that's that's the worst of these three. <laughs> well, that's the most ridiculous, and there was just something. They're dog people, man. I know, I know. I, I'm just saying. I, I, I gotta say, I, I'm not a huge Patrick Troughton fan. I, I, I'm just not crazy about that incarnation of the Doctor. But quite frankly, I haven't seen all that many episodes of him. But the few I've seen, I wasn't that crazy about it. But that's oh, the one that. you grew up on. You're saying you haven't seen him recently. No. Patrick Troughton? I didn't grow up on him. Oh, sorry. John I Pertwee. thought you said John Pertwee. No. Yeah, no. Pa- uh, Patrick Troughton's kind of a, uh, you know, he's, he's. I don't want to say clown because you already use clown in a negative contents. But, well, no. you know, where where William Hartnell was this really by-the-book, grumpy old man, curmudgeon-type character. Right. You know, Patrick Troughton was kind of that way, but he was also a little lighthearted and would, you know, play around a little bit. Sure. Crack a joke. Right. I mean, he has that haircut. That's that's pretty funny all by itself. <laughs> yeah, but I never saw him, uh, you know, poke the other companions in the eyes or go, why I ought to... <laughs> I think you're, you're confusing him with Mo Howard again. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Different guys. Oh, different guys. Oh, the haircut. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, All right. What else you got? Uh, I loved it at the the top of page twenty-one when the you know when the uh, the mixed drink bomb goes off. I thought that was pretty pretty coolly drawn. And then in the big you know big big letters at the top, it goes boom. I I like the artwork. Yeah, boom is obviously British for boom. We something I didn't know before. Yeah, you know, they call it foom, we call it boom. They call it boot, we call it trunk. You know. Oh yes, uh, trousers and pants and elevator and lift. Exactly. Turbo <laughs> and yeah, whatever. So, um, 
something towards the end that I didn't get is the doctor had the key, the TARDIS key. Well, it was part of the keychain she gave him that had the Betsy oh, key. Betsy that's, key where it was, the, that's where he got it? Oh, yeah. that makes sense now. Okay. Right. I, I didn't pick up where he got the, uh, the key because in the first issue, they didn't have the TARDIS key. So the doctor puts his TARDIS key on his car key ring. Oh, yeah, so it looks like a keychain. There you go. Makes <laughs> sense. I always like that TARDIS key. Uh, they in the in the newer shows that look there the TARDIS key looks like a normal key, but I oh. I like that that version that little uh, like shield looking thing with the little bits and bobs on it. Bits and bobs. <laughs> bobs your uncle, you're done. Exactly. Okay. Um, I think. Uh, yeah. Okay. So another. I just want to say another thing that gets back to the seeming infallibility of this mystery man. At the end, because the key cannot detect the TARDIS, mm-hmm. um, the Doctor is saying the TARDIS is, must be destroyed, and it's like seems like a big jump. It's a well, and also let's think about that statement. I mean. That key can connect up with the TARDIS through time and space. All of time and all of space. That in itself seems, wow, that's amazing. I mean, it is the Doctor and everything, and anything can happen, but that seems odd. And then the idea that the TARDIS would be destroyed, highly unlikely, because you know the Doctor gets out of this, somehow. So how are they going to explain that supposedly the TARDIS is destroyed? We'll have to see. We'll have to see. It just seems... It just seems like they're artificially, like... For a second issue in a row, they're artificially trying to cause suspense and put the Doctor in a position where... Oh, God, really? And makes you want to buy the next issue. So in the in the last one, they made him look like he was, he was dead or dying. And then at the beginning of this issue... He's on the ground a little bit, but then after a little bit of you know, resuscitation from Martha, <laughs> um, you know he's up and he's up and around with no problem. It's like, but you you were you one of your hearts stopped. What what? Just you know. And then then now here it's like the TARDIS is is, is dead. Except now they're saying the TARDIS is dead. It's like I don't know. It's like it's like they're they're kind of artificially uh, brewing stuff just to pe- bring you back. Right. Right. you know that that's fine that's that's storytelling i guess i just don't like it when it's so it just seems so labored or, or right it, and i mean it's not the this is not the first time the doctor has been cut off from the tardis yeah i mean he he's been you know the tardis is in another dimension or whatever uh it just seems odd that he would automatically jump to that conclusion right well he explained how supposedly the key works, so uh, unless it's in some kind of uh, temporal dampening field or something, I don't know. What, why, you know, if that key is that all powerful, I don't know. I don't know. Eh, whatever. Well, we'll see how this plays out. I agree. So, are you uh, ready? Yeah, let's see. Let's see what we got. All right. Let's say goodbye to the dangerous space greyhounds. And let's say hello to issue number three, which is titled Misdirection. 
And there's uh, slight differences in some of the people involved, so I'll just mention them quickly. Oh, by the way, this is published date of October 2008. I think I have that right. Yes, October 2008. You do, um, and I'm, I missed mine, so sorry about that. Oh. oh. Um, writer Tony Lee. Penciler is Stefano Martino. Uh, letters by Comic Crafts Richard Starking. Uh, the, uh, they didn't... I couldn't find an inker mentioned. Colorist is Liam Shalou and Chris Carter. Neil Yukataki. And then the editor is uh, Denton J. Tipton. And what did Neil do again? Because I, I failed to write it down. Neil was... It says production by. Oh, production by. Hmm. Okay, yes. Production by. That's nice and generic. Pretty vague. Anyway, vague. That's the word I was looking for. Vague. Okay. The cover shows the 10th Doctor winding up a cricket bat to take a swing at a cricket ball that of the 5th Doctor is getting ready to pitch. The 4th Doctor, Tom Baker, is looking on while eating jelly babies while he is enjoying competition seated upon the TARDIS. It's, it's, it's a nice little cover. Everybody's having a good time. I like it. Lots of smiles. The issue starts with the Doctor seated on the floor fretting over the fact that if the TARDIS key can't detect the TARDIS anywhere in time and space, then that means the TARDIS no longer exists. Martha is standing up on alert, and headless remnants of an exploded robot are up against the wall in the background. They discuss their situation. Without the TARDIS, they may not have a way home. The Doctor is still running on a fraction of his memories. Martha suggests he work on remembering more of his past while she has a look around. She takes a bag of jelly babies out of her backpack, which starts the Tenth Doctor thinking about the Fourth Doctor. On a beautiful spring day in Paris, round the year of 2000, the Fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, and Romana are enjoying a walk about the city. Romana mistakes a mime doing a man-in-a-box routine for someone who is actually in trouble. Those wacky time lords. Suddenly, a time-displacement vortex appears next to the mime, and he jumps through. The Doctor and Romana do the same and find themselves in the catacombs under Paris. They conjecture where the mime went when they are accosted by a band of French soldiers using muskets with bayonets attached. The Doctor turns on the charm, introduces himself as Brigadier General, and acts as if he was looking for the leader of the soldiers. He finds out the year is 1810, so the vortex they stepped through was a time vortex, and it swept them into the past. The soldiers were chasing someone on the Rue Galei, and the next thing they knew, they were all in the catacombs. The Doctor and Romana conjecture that what these doors are and why they seem to keep popping uh, open in multiple places at multiple times is important. The Doctor and Romana leave the company of the soldiers and start walking east. They quickly come upon uh, the mime, standing next to a huge minotaur in a red beret, a mask, and a black and red striped shirt and shorts. They are both standing in front of a large wooden door that is locked with chains chains and a huge padlock. Remembering the myth of the Minotaur, the doctor asks what happens if they miss solving the three riddles. The Minotaur says he will eat them raw. 
Romana asks, what if they get them all right? The Minotaur says that has never happened before. But if it does, then the huge doors will be opened and all will go free. They notice the mime sneaking off. The first riddle is, feed me and I live. Give me drink and I will die. What am I? Romana says, oh, it's easy, a Thermorian sandworm. But sorry, the Minotaur was looking for fire. That means I get you, the Minotaur says. The doctor brings the Minotaur to task. Romana did not give... Romana did give him a correct answer, just not the correct answer the Minotaur was looking for. The doctor says, no matter, since he was able to pick the key out of the Minotaur's pocket earlier when he gave the beast some jelly babies. The doctor races for the door, unlocks it, and throws it open. Intense light comes through and destroys the Minotaur and the mime. The story over, the tenth doctor finds himself back in the museum, remembering Romana. She did well for herself, that is, until the Time War. The thought of the Time War connects a dot for the Doctor, and he runs out looking for Martha. He finds Martha holding a bat and asks her to find the Time Ring. The Master is not amused, and to prevent them from finding it, he releases giant spiders to attack them. The Doctor looks in Martha's backpack and finds the fifth Doctor's cricket ball, It triggers the memory of an adventurer when he was number five. The fifth doctor is pitching a cricket match when a a Judoon retrieval ship passes over the cricket field and lands close to an old house the doctor owned when he worked with the unit. He theorizes they might be after something in his house. The doctor asks Turlo to run back to the TARDIS and get his diary from 500 years ago and bring it back. The Doctor approaches the Judoon commander, who looks like a weird rhino with his helmet off. They put their weapons on the Doctor, who agrees to help them identify the Eye of Akasha. The Judoon commander hands the Doctor a glowing red ball. The doctor looks it over and says he needs to do a spectrographic analysis in the TARDIS. The impatient and scary Jadoon commander states he wants a yes or no answer now, while he points his pistol at Tegan's head. The doctor races to the Jadoon commander, slaps the ball in his hand and says with conviction, it's the eye of Akasha, so let Tegan go. They do so and walk to their ship. On the way out, the Doctor warns them not to return to Earth, or we will make it known across the universe that the Jadoon broke galactic law. If that gets around, their contract will likely be terminated. As the Jadoon blasts off, Tegan chastises the Doctor for just letting the Brutes leave with that artifact. It must be powerful. The Doctor says, oh yes, But considering that he switched the cricket ball for the eye of Akasha, they did not really get away with much at all. The doctor says they must be off Earth before the Jadoon realized they were tricked. With the story ended, the tenth doctor is back in the museum, seated on the floor, saying, Misdirection! He takes off looking for Martha and saying, The Jelly Babies, the 
cricket balls were all misdirection. The Auton did not intend to kill them, just direct them away from something. The master, looking on from the control room, says Martha cannot hear him, and will soon be gone. And when she is gone, the doctor will be alone. And when he's alone, he will lose and regenerate for me. Meanwhile, Martha is alone and surrounded by five or more huge spiders with only a bat for protection. Next issue, survival. That that master is one crafty fella. Or not. Or not crafty or not the master. Or not the master. <laughs> we'll find out next episode, won't we? Oh, well, yes, but not, well, next issue, but not, the, oh, that's right, next episode. Oh, I got right, you. Right, right, right. We, we do the next three in the next episode, right? There you go. There you go. So we'll finish off this miniseries, and you will find out if you're right or wrong. <laughs> or in between. <laughs> or in between. Or right and wrong. Okay, so. so uh, my my big comment on this issue Yes. Uh, the story story's okay. It's it's consistent with the other three or the other two, but the artwork seems odd. Oh man, that's the first thing that hit me. I, I agree. Go ahead. I mean, Peter Davidson. You can tell that he's in there. You know, you can tell that that's supposed to supposed to be him. Right. But it doesn't really look like him. It looks no. like a cartoon. I mean, <laughs> it's funny because it's a comic book, but it just it's cartoony. It doesn't look right. No, it's it, it's it's a very low res rendering of a blonde, uh, you know, youngish to middle aged guy, right? Uh, and it could it's be fine. anybody. I, I agree with you. And look at the mutton chops on Peter Davidson. Oh, I mean, not, not Peter Davidson. Uh, yeah. Michael David Tennant. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, they're huge. Yeah, which when, he always has sideburns, but these yeah, but not like that. Huge. I mean, he looks like he fell out of the 70s. <laughs> he does. Uh, and, and it, so when I open up this comic, I mean, I didn't really bother comparing the, uh, the penciler between this issue and the last issue. But you open this comic and it's like, whoa, this. OK, so and then I start looking back right away. OK, so who, who's this this penciler? Because it's not the same guy. And indeed it isn't. Uh, yeah, I liked I, I think I liked the, the artwork in general in the previous issues. Agreed. Yeah. Although I will say that some of the Judoon in some panels they look pretty cool. Yeah, the Judoon look cool. And there and there's some really nice detail on some of them. In as much as Peter Davidson's face looks like a generic uh, almost like a like a circle drawing of somebody's head, the Judoon have a lot of detail and they look really you know, pretty cool in some of the panels. Right. Yeah, they look like the uh, the newer version of the Judoon and not not the old version. But it still right. looks good. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it, and and Tegan I also thought was a little off. I mean, she just looks like the normal damsel in distress type character with a weird shirt, but I, I didn't see a lot of the actress who played Tegan in in this in this story. Right. I mean, she had a little bit of fire in the, in some of the uh, the dialogue, especially early on uh, while the game was going on, which I didn't bother mentioning. Right. But yeah, she was eh, eh, didn't do much. Yeah, and and I, a, I wonder why they didn't do a why didn't they didn't do a Peter Davidson with Adric? I mean, that's kind of like Peter Davidson's 
most popular companion, I would say. You know, the, the boy genius Adric. Right. I, I found it odd that they chose a time period where he wasn't with them. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't do a you can't do a Tom Baker flashback and not have Romana or K nine. You have to have at least one of those. And obviously, they picked Romana because she's well, more interesting. Uh, yeah, I like Romana. I like the first Romana. But I also liked uh, was it you like the first you like the first Romana better than the second one? Oh, infinitely. I mean, the first one was hot. She right. was cute. I mean, those eyes. Oh my god, they're like Aaron Gray eyes. Oh, <laughs> gorgeous. Uh, the second one, she's mousy. And by the way, that brings me to this point. Uh, Romana was drawn as the blonde Romana, so it must be the second Romana uh, right. after the after the regeneration. But She's good looking. I mean, she's a good looking blonde. Uh, and, you know, she she seems like she has a little bit of meat to her bones. And that's not the second Romana. I mean, she was kind of, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, everybody has different opinions. Right. But I think she was kind of skinny and mousy looking. And I don't think she was, I mean, she wasn't bad looking, but I mean, she wasn't great looking, not compared to the first one. And this artist rendering almost seems like uh, somewhere in between the two Romanas. Well, they definitely, he, he draws the women Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, yes, he does. I mean, they're all perfect. Uh, so any flaws that the actress may have had, he he corrects. Or, I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, you're, you're, you're not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Tegan and everybody else they, and Martha, they, they look really nice. Not, not yeah. saying that the actresses don't look nice, but. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, in, in typical comic book fashion, everybody looks better than what they did in real life. Sure. For the women. But the men, I don't think he. The, the same amount of detail and and you know uh, care was put in because well, I don't know David Tennant does not look like David Tennant and those mutton chops you know <laughs> not that flattering pretty hot, pretty hot. oh well if, if that floats your boat go for it <laughs> <laughs> right. but yeah you're right the, there was a there was a little bit of Leela Ward in the artwork so you knew which Romana it was but a lot of times she looked again too cartoony that right. she could have been anybody. And so what do you think about the Doctor or the Tom Baker story? Uh, well, I mean, it was uh, – <laughs> it seemed a lot to throw in there, you know, with the uh, the French guards and the uh, the Minotaur and all right. that stuff in just a few pages. And then the, the payout is just I stole the keys. Right. And somehow opening the door appeared to have destroyed – or maybe it was just really bright light. It looks like it was destroying them. I don't know. Well, I mean, and they are screaming, no! So you right. would think that it would be bad. Yeah, it looked bad. <laughs> I mean, it, it looked like they were getting swept up by, uh, like, radiation or something, just, like, ripping the flesh off their bones or something. Although they didn't actually show that, but still. Well, they, and, they didn't and, really explain what was going on. No, not at all. And by the way, let's cut to the chase, shall we? A mime. <laughs> a mime. In France, right. They're, they're partnering there. up with a huge muscular minotaur who has a red beret, a mask for some reason, I don't know why, and then this this very French kind of gay, uh, whatever, uh, black and white striped outfit. And it's like... Well, that's what? the traditional mime outfit, the black what? and white striped shirt. Okay, yeah, I get that. It's just, okay, well, what about the mask? Is that traditional mime? No. Well, what's with the mask? What's with the mime? It's like, 
it's like it's like if they want to have fun with it and just throw wacky things in there, let's let's have a mime, you know. Right. You know, it was either that or midgets. Either way, and uh, I just thought I thought it was just kind of wacky. I, I agree. And uh, you know, a lot of people say Tom Baker's their favorite doctor. He he's not mine, only because half of the time they don't explain what just happened. And yeah. this this to me this story fell into that that you know yeah, I'll explain it to you later and then never do you know right. kind of joke. I think I'm pretty sure they did it ongoing in the series because it you know I'll tell you later and then the show's over right kind of thing and I and I obviously I think that's what they're playing around with here. Yeah. I'm assuming, right? But I don't like it. I, I, he's not my favorite Doctor. Um, before they rebooted everything, Tom Baker was clearly my favorite Doctor, even though I had a special place in my my fan heart uh, for John Pertwee being my first. I always was big time Tom Baker fan. Well, in this episode, I haven't explained who my favorite is, so I'll go ahead and take that opportunity now. Do if that. That's okay. So, uh, as you say, you never forget your first doctor. For me, my first doctor was my first full-blown doctor. I've seen like little bits of something on PBS, but it looked crappy, so I didn't watch it kind of thing with the mm-hmm. older doctors. But mm-hmm. the first one I watched in the end was uh, 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 Paul McCann. Paul McCann. Oh, wow. Well, that's pretty late. That's pretty yeah, far down the row. It, it was. Line. And I loved it. I thought, I thought that was great. But I, the whole concept yeah, but, was great. Okay, but okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but I only saw one Paul McCann adventure filmed. Yep, and that was the movie. It's so true. that's what you saw. That was the first the one movie. I saw because it, it came on Fox and it was you know the TV movie of the week there in right. 1996 and watched right. it, or it might have been earlier than that. I can't remember. It was in the mid 90s. I watched it and right. and I thought this is great. And then it wasn't until later, like when I met my wife, that we I really got into some of the other doctors. But uh, there for the longest time, I would argue with her, but only because I read all the Expanded Universe stuff. Because I really got into it. I would read the comic books, the novels, the uh, you know the audio dramas of the Eighth Doctor. So in my mind, he's had a really fleshed out history, even though... 99% of the world only has seen him in that one show. <laughs> so I get that. But to me, I love the Paul McCann Doctor. And 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 I love the Doctors that came after him. But anything before him, you know, there was so much of that cheese factor in it that I, I always had a hard time really getting into it. Right. S- same issue I have with uh, – I don't know if you watch a lot of Star Trek, but the original Star Trek series I also kind of have a problem with because it's a product of its time and it's a little cheesy at times, you know, Depen- special yeah, effects-wise, things like that. Right. So uh, that that's just my – so I, if I had to say my favorite Doctor of before Paul McGann, I'd probably say Peter Davidson. P- Peter Davidson was good. He was good. He just um, – he didn't flip my trigger that much. I mean, I remember one episode with Peter Davison, and he was outside of a space station, floating in space. Right. Casanova, I think that's the name of that episode. Oh, good job. Um, and I don't care if you're Time Lord or not. I mean, you're in space. You're going to freeze, no <laughs> pressure – 
you're going to explode or something. And, he, and he's like playing cricket in space, right? Well, yeah, oh, okay, so like yeah, so he was doing the you know the physics thing. Equal every action have an equal opposite reaction. Show so he throws the cricket ball, and then that gives him momentum towards this other spaceship or whatever was going on. Yep. And it's like okay, thanks for the physics lesson, but you should be dead. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to argue with you because you're at, you're spot on right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like that. Just uh, why do they do things like that? Uh, anyway, well, uh, you can't. I mean, they do that in all of these. Well, a- and as you saw in the Eleventh Doctor, the TARDIS has a makes a little bubble around you so you can go out in space, like Emily Pond did. Oh, that's yeah. I know. Whatever. At least they explained a little bit. <laughs> but but of course they would have had to because she's human. But still, right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, and you know we'll get into it next next week. But uh, speaking about the human thing, uh, next week when we do uh, issue number five, I think it is, uh, we get the the comic books version of trying to explain the Paul McCann's comments about being half human. Oh uh, right, we got yeah, that to movie. look forward to. That's that's just a little teaser for next issue or next episode. Yeah, so did, so they did that just to make him more accessible to the American audience or something. Yeah, I think so. Uh, bad bad move. Bad it, move. it was a bad move. Don't even go there. Why why bother anyway? All right, so but that's that's next time. Back to this one. Yes, I don't really have a lot more comments to talk about. Yeah, all I have to say is that I liked the Peter Davidson story more than the Tom Baker story. But even at that, the Peter Davison story, um, he switched the cricket ball for the Eye of Akasha. And they didn't catch it. And the Judoons did not realize it until they were, like, streaking out of the solar system in their spaceship. And the, command, the commander said, and I do like the joke, the commander saying, or the, the, the lieutenant saying, hey, there's something wrong with this ball. Uh, and then then he says something like, "Well, the doctor said it was it was it malfunctioned or something," which I don't remember that him saying that, but whatever. Um, and then and then the lieutenant says, "Oh yeah, well, why did it turn into leather?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I thought funny. was funny. I thought it's, that was funny. It was it was good. I liked it. I, I like that bit. It's just that what I mean, these these are these are cosmic rental cops. Okay, yeah, right. I get it. So they're dumb. They're really dumb. Okay. But I'm sure their spaceships have you uh, can make a U-turn and come back and check on why it turned to leather. Well, that's another interesting point, isn't it? Uh, Peter Davison said, uh, we need to be off of the Earth before they come back. Okay? So I really hope that's because with their instruments, they can tell you're not there anymore, Doctor. <laughs> so there's no reason for them to, you know, attack the Earth looking right. for you. Right? That that's it, right? <laughs> As opposed to just running off. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, yeah, I I don't want to be on Earth when they come back either. So I want to go off with Peter Davidson. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, give me a ride. That's all I have to say. All right, so issue number four will have uh, the uh, sixth and seventh Doctors, so some of the more colorful Doctors, and then. Uh, Five, eighth and ninth Doctor, and then six will have uh, the mysterious villain guy. Hmm, who could be? Who? So, 
I guess that that closes the episode then, Ken. Unless you have anything else to talk about. Um, I don't know. Maybe anything about the you know the date or anything. Yeah. Uh, let's see, April first, otherwise known as. Oh my God! You're joking. No. This is a joke. The whole thing. Oh, you got me, Ken. And you and you not think that this kind of thing doesn't happen every year? But yeah, it's April Fool's Day. <laughs> Yeah, so anybody who's stuck around till the end, this is not the 74th issue or episode of the Doctor Who comic book review. It's the Star Trek comic book review, of course. You knew that. Now, I would like to do a Doctor Who comic book review just because there's a lot of good stuff. But unlike the uh, the Star Trek stuff, which you know we're able to buy a DVD that had every comic book of the older stuff. Right. Uh, getting your hands on some of the older Doctor Who stuff is pricey. Yeah, is it? I've tried, and getting some of that, I mean, because a lot of it was just in, like, random magazines. Right. So it'd be like, you know, the TV, not TV guide, but the equivalent of a TV guide would have, like, a, a Doctor Who story in it every once in a while. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, but trying to track one of those bad boys down from 30-something, 40 years ago, right. impossible. Yeah. And when you do find it, it's... it's too pricey for me to spend on a four-page comic that's probably not going to be any good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Quite frankly. But uh, but if you are into Doctor Who, uh, IDW has been publishing a lot of uh, back issues of stuff that was in the old Doctor Who magazine that was in the UK. Oh, um, did they? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so you can buy some like omnibuses that have like you know uh, several months, if not years, worth of uh, of um, comic strips um uh condensed into one volume right but uh there's still a ton that they haven't gotten around to or i don't know how well they're selling so i don't know how many more they're going to come out with but uh it's a good way to catch up on older doctor who stuff that's a great idea i like it i like it and i idw being so big on the uh, digital front there you might be able to get some of this stuff or at least i know you can get some of the newer stuff uh on your iphone or ipad or other digital device so Right. I I have the IDW app on my phone. Oh, do you? And does it have all the Matt Smith's series that they come they're coming out with? Um, I think well, I think you can get to the catalog that way. But I mean, the main point of the uh the iOS app is that before remember the old days when they first came out with the uh 2009 right. prequel comic? I mean, that was an app in itself. Every issue was an app. Right. And they got rid of all that, and now all your comics are within the app. So there's only one app. So kind of like the Marvel comic reader, the DC one, that kind of stuff. A better way to go. And, and I'm Agreed. pretty sure you can get to the whole catalog through the app. I mean, if you want to buy it. I'm pretty sure it does that. That's cool. I've been buying the Matt Smith stuff uh, as they released them in graphic novels. I haven't been buying the issue, the individual issues. It's, it's too damn pricey. So I'm, I'm already bought spending all this money on the Star Trek stuff, so I can usually wait to get the Doctor Who stuff when they've uh, consolidated into you know, a graphic novel for 10 bucks or 15 bucks, whatever it is. Right. So, but anyways, uh, talking about Star Trek, uh, one of the reasons why we picked Doctor Who, not only did it come out around the same time Star Trek did, they're also doing a big Star Trek Doctor Who crossover here pretty soon. That's right. Next gen. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little conflicted on the choice of who they crossed over with. What were your thoughts when you when you first saw that? Well, when I first saw it, it was actually 
a picture, and I saw this on uh, Sci-Fi Channel's Blaster site, and it was a photo, uh, well, a photo, it was a drawing of Matt Smith as the doctor sitting in Picard's chair on the bridge. And, really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. And and he's sitting there, and his his right hand's up, and he's kind of like pointing like Picard, and you can see he's kind of <laughs> like saying, engage. And then he's got the pawns behind him, you know, like, like where Worf always stood. Right. Uh, you know, back by the wooden railing, which is, by the way, a nice touch. I always liked having that big wood thing in there back there. But, yeah, the ponds are behind him, and it's it's like, that looks cool. <laughs> but uh, so I saw that, and it was like, that is cool. So I didn't even think about uh, original Trek. But, yeah, yeah, it would have been interesting with the original Trek. Crossover. Yeah, I've, uh, you know, IDW's had the rights to Doctor Who for a good long time now, and... Uh, they obviously have the rights to Star Trek for comic books, and I know that the writer of the series has been pushing for this for a long time, and BBC was always kind of on the fence about whether they should do it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Paramount or C- uh, CBS or whatever, you know, th- they have no problems crossing over because it's just it's just more money for them, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we got, you know, X-Men and all the other crossovers that, that uh, they've They've put Star Trek 2. But anyways, it wasn't until the, the Comic-Con here recently when they announced the Star Trek uh, Legion of Superheroes crossover that BBC saw such a big uprising of you know fan appreciation that they went ahead and okayed it. But uh, I've always wanted to see like a, a First Doctor and Captain Kirk type crossover. You know, because oh. you know, hmm. the series is... The, each individual series came out within three years of each other, so they're kind right. of from the same era. Uh, that you know, I would have liked to have seen that as as the crossover, but uh, I do find it odd that they picked the Next Generation TV series timeline versus the Movies. you know post Nemesis uh, timeline. Right. I mean, oh. I would have liked to have seen like a continuation of Countdown, which was that you know prequel to the uh, the new movie. Right. You know, see something around that time with Matt Smith. Oh, in that time period. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, with the Enterprise E and all that other good stuff. But anyways, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I We will definitely be uh, reviewing that one sooner rather than later. I haven't heard how long it's going to be. Have you? No, how many issues? I don't know. Yeah, right. But what, it's supposed to come out in May? Uh, yeah, I thought it was actually later than that, but maybe it is May. I think I, I read May, but yeah, I don't know how many issues, but I'm looking forward to it. So give us something to look forward to. Yes. Excellent. All right. Well, next uh, next week we'll actually be doing the real number 74, which we're doing the uh, IDW ongoing yes. issues number four, five, and six. Excellent. Looking forward to that. And if anybody was wanting to know, spoiler alert, I'll go ahead and tell you who the, the master character really is. I'm waiting. I think we should just cut it off there. And then start the <laughs> oh, you right bastard, yeah. Because, <laughs> of course, we're never going to get to this, yeah. despite what we said earlier. Right. That's why I think it's funny if I just leave it off like that. <laughs> you know, should I really say? Yeah, you should really say. All right, so the real bad guy ends up in issue number six. You find out that it's the Doctor. Oh, my God! So it's David Tennant in a goatee 
and uh, they they mix in a bunch of different Doctor Who spin-off type stuff. So at first it looks like it's the clone doctor from that goes into the other universe with Martha uh, with Rose. Remember in that episode? Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so that's cloned from his hand. So at first you think it's that doctor, and then they come to find out it's a doctor called the the Veil Yard, which was in which was a future doctor, supposedly after his twelfth incarnation or after his eleventh incarnation that was evil that we met in um uh the seventh doctor's timeline. So there was a big trial of the Time Lord uh ongoing uh season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that, the main bad guy was this Veilyard type guy. And right. It, it was a future doctor. It Then you come to find out, uh, oh, no, it's really this guy. And then you find out that the real bad guy is a, like, brain-sucking leech that's been attached to the uh, doctor, and he's been in the TARDIS the whole time. Aha! Now that <laughs> makes more sense. Right. So it's really he's fighting himself, right? It, it's It was like his... This thing was sucking out its memories, but and also, you know, he kind of in his own subconscious created this ultimate villain for himself, right. which has all his memories, all his all that makes the Doctor the Doctor. Hmm. It, it, it was a satisfying ending. Uh, it would have been a little bit better if it was a more tangible real villain, but uh, it was the only way you can explain how this person knew absolutely everything about the Doctor. Exactly. Even the Master, who has been in many stories. He has been even more stories he hasn't been in. So right, how could he know yeah. all that? Right. So I, at first, when I thought it was the uh, alternate version of uh, David Tennant, I was like, "Oh, well, that makes sense. That explains why he's uh, he knows everything, right? Because he's a a perfect clone of the Doctor, just a human version." And then it was this other guy, and then it was the Leech. So it, it was interesting. So where was Martha while this Leech and stuff was going on? Um, she was also, or she was in the real world. I think, I can't remember. It's been a couple of years since I Okay, read that's it. fine. Well, we, we need to wrap up the episode. <laughs> right, so, see you next time. With Doctor Who, comic book review. I thought of it again. Exactly. Later. Thank you for listening to this special Doctor Who comic book review episode. Doctor Who and all characters within his universe are copyrighted by BBC. These issues were published by IDW Comics. 